welcome back for another episode here at Crest Talk. We're your hosts, Jamie Kim, Chloe Lee, and Jamie Freitag. At Crest, we believe everyone deserves support. The Crest app provides personalized support that helps you stress less and accomplish more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode in our COVID-19 series. Thank you for coming back. And once again, if you're new here, we just wanted to reassure everyone that we are no longer recording in the studio. We're all in our respective homes and this is all being recorded over an audio call. Today's episode is extremely special. We have an amazing guest here with us, Dr. Nikki Williams. Hi, Dr. Nikki, how are you? Hey guys, this is uh, Nikki. I know I'm speaking over recording to Jamie, Jamie and Chloe, but just wanted to thank you guys for having me on today. No, thank you. <laughs> so can you just introduce yourself a little bit to us and whoever's listening? Of course. So. Uh, I am a physician and emergency medicine resident right now. I'm completing my residency actually in a month in New York City in Queens. Um, my background is a little bit different or non-traditional. So I was an athlete at Hofstra. I understand you guys are at Hofstra, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Go Pride. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to the Pride. I was a basketball player. I studied business undergraduate and then I did post-baccalaureate work and ended up in emergency medicine. So that's that's where I'm at right now. And I'll be in attending next year uh, for the next stage of my career. Wow, congratulations. That sounds so exciting. So do you think you could dive a little bit deeper into what you mean by, you know, not having a traditional background and how you think that helps you in your in your field today? Oh, sure. So I think that when I say non-traditional, I, I guess I mean that I just didn't take the route uh, or I rather didn't even know what I wanted to do from an early stage other than play basketball. So I think that a lot of my path was just carved out based on the experiences I had, the people I met. Uh, the interest was always intrinsically there just from being an athlete to be interested in the body and how things work. And I was always very curious. Um, but being curious is different than I need to know and I want to help people with it. So I think through experiences that definitely uh, impacted me greatly, I decided it wasn't just something that I was interested in. It was something I really had to learn. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely studied business and, and studied basketball a little bit. And uh, from there, yeah, my, my path took a lot of different turns. And now that I'm in emergency medicine, I'm just so thrilled and, and definitely uh, happy with how things ended up. Yeah, that's so cool. So like you said, you were actually a professional women's basketball player. Um, so do you yeah. think that <laughs> any of the training or any of the experiences you've had with that, do you think it maybe put you at any some sort of advantage or um, did it help you build certain characteristics or a certain outlook once you entered the field of medicine? So I think my experience as an athlete absolutely formed a lot of who I am today and, and my approach to medicine. So I was the captain of multiple basketball teams. And from that perspective, I definitely always tried to unite people of different backgrounds, different races, religions, beliefs uh, for a common goal. And, and obviously the common goal at that time was winning a basketball game. Things have changed certainly in terms of what, you know, the game has a lot bigger stakes now. Of course, we're talking about life and death at this point in my career, mm -hmm. uh, but the principles remain the same in terms of the the uniting of groups, the uniting of different people. Um, you know, in a basketball team, you it doesn't matter if you're the practice player or you're the star player. Everybody really has an important role in, in preparing for games. So I, I don't think I've ever lost sight of that. And as I've taken that into the emergency room, 
it includes everyone, our respiratory therapists, our uh, techs, our PCAs, our physicians, our residents, our medical students. I just think having some, everybody having a value on the team is just super important to me. Uh, and I always try to bring that into medicine. Um, in terms of that leadership, I think it is important in emergency medicine because you have to use your voice and really be the one speaking up because everybody, when the really sick patient is in the room, looks to somebody to do something. So I think I'm used to doing that through athletics and then having the ball in my hand, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable with that role. Um, but I think just like I said, really being a team player is so important in life and, and in medicine, of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, that was very insightful and very important. And I just want to ask, what changed your path from business to medicine? Because it seems like such a different type of career from business to go to medicine. Yeah, definitely. So it is. I have to be honest, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew mm -hmm. from a very young age, I was interested in the body. Um, mostly from an athletic performance standpoint, I loved nutrition. I loved working out. Uh, I wanted to be the strongest and the fastest. Unfortunately, we are not sitting with each other right now, or you would see that I'm 5'5". Five five. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm awesome. not that tall. Uh, people always ask how tall I am. I said, I'm just 5'5". Five five. Yes, I have really, uh, you know, a, a good uh, ball handling skills. But so I think I knew that I was interested in something. But how did that change into I have to do this? And it felt like more of a calling is really just life experiences, really, um, to be honest, the, a lot of the people that impacted me the most were physicians for my teams, uh, even psychiatrists, who really helped me kind of really bring meaning outside of basketball into my life. And with the way they were able to help me and my already uh, kind of interest in the body and in nutrition and, you know, really integrated wellness as a whole, I, I said, I have to do this. I, I love this. And I, as much as I was scared to take on that journey, it's really been the most rewarding thing. So yeah, I think really just personal experiences. And I can definitely touch more upon that if, if you'd like, but definitely just personal experiences with physicians and with healthcare professionals. Mm. Can you elaborate on like a specific life experience that helped you see that you needed to pursue medicine? Absolutely. So this, I would say, in college, you know, and you guys may relate to this right now, but there's a lot of pressure, especially, I know that you're going into, um, you know, the sciences, and there's a lot of competition and pressure and, yeah. you know, just the, the, the striving for perfection, which we all deal with. And I was no different than that, uh, with sport and with academics, really trying to hold it together all the time. Uh, as an athlete, you always look really strong and you look really uh, confident and brave. And I kind of still have that persona to this day, but where's the vulnerability in that? Where's the space to talk about it? So I really struggled a lot with that as an athlete, as a captain of the team, as the one that was supposed to be the example for others um, on how do I take care of myself? And it was really the experiences with one of the physicians when I was at Hofstra, uh, who actually specializes in psychiatry and was an osteopathic physician who the light bulb just turned on um, for me with him. And I honestly, I always joke around. I say, if he was studying butterflies out there somewhere, maybe that's what I'd be doing too, because he, he impacted me so much that I just wanted to do what he was doing. Um, and in a more specific setting, uh, I saw him work on mental health the way that 
you know, I was working on my physical health and the idea of the connection between how important those things are, you know, our, our heads are, you know, are, are just sitting there on our shoulders. They're connected intrinsically to the wellness of our entire bodies. The idea right. of that just never was something that I was allowing myself to focus on. And through some of his work, I just said there are too many people struggling with things that I think I can use my leadership in a different kind of a way. Um, and that was kind of my journey into medicine. And uh, I'll be honest, I remember the day I asked uh, this mentor of mine, I said, what if I'm still struggling with something someday? Can I, can I still be a physician? And uh, he said, Nikki, your 50% might be exactly what a patient needs one day. Maybe your 10% is exactly what somebody needs. So um, when he told me that, I said, wow, okay, like, I, I think I can do this. What if I've never, what if I never learned to take care of myself the ways I want? What if I never really take a hold of my mental health in the ways that I desire to? And, you know, eventually things change and something else becomes more important in your life. But I'll never forget the moment where you said your 50% might be somebody else's uh, exactly what they need that day. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm just wondering, Dr. Williams, is how if you could pinpoint kind of like in a general sense, the stigma around, you know, doctors not being there 100% and only, you know, quote unquote, only giving their 10% to make their patient feel better. Sure. You mean the stigma of just, you know, mental health in general, or just yeah. that we, we, so yeah, <laughs> the stigma surrounding physicians and even, you know, I think in general things are, there is definitely a trend towards talking about things more, but to say that we have a lot more work to do, I think is, is just an understatement. Mm -hmm. So I do think right now the culture of medicine just plays a really big role. Um, we have like very stoic training environments and it normalizes our stress and, um, and also our distress is kind of like an inherent part or like who we're supposed to be as a physician in our identity. Um, you know, like the sleep deprivation, the long hours, they're kind of like badges of honor in a way. And we're just encouraged mm -hmm. to see people as competition instead of support. And this isn't everywhere and this isn't everyone, but I would say that this like lack of kind of identifying the problems and really talking about them and finding a vulnerable, comfortable space to relate to others definitely leads to us ignoring the signs and symptoms of burnout and depression and even suicidality. Um, so I do think there's a, a really dangerous culture of silence. And I think doing things like this and, and talking about things and being vulnerable is, is really one of the only ways to start to combat that. And I think more and more we are seeing that, but I do think we need to have more and more people stand up too. I completely agree. And kind of my next question is, what was the transition like from being a, an absolute team player, having your teammates back to then going to the medical field and, you know, those things that you described is everyone's for themselves, like, you know, undermining each other's achievements. Like how, how was that for you? So difficult. Um, yeah. It's still difficult is the truth. I, I feel like I left part of myself behind on the basketball court. And, mm -hmm. um, but you know, what I've found is that, so being a team player is a big part. I know when you guys had spoken previously about what environment you guys go into to gain your strength. And I think one of you guys said school, I can't forget. And then another of you mentioned church and just like the community base that you have to go kind of fall back into. So for me, I really treated everything like a game still, like it was literally a competition, but not against anybody else. I just treated everything like game day still. And that's what helped me through medical school in really mm -hmm. difficult situations. I kept my routine. So 
pregame meal and, uh, you know, having a certain, you know, athletic environment to be in, like whether it's your song, your pregame music, your, the shoes that you wear to go out on the court. I kind of kept all of that through medical school and it was quirky and funny and nobody related to me, but literally I would like say, oh, it's game day. Like these are the game day shoes. And <laughs> what by game day, I mean, I mean, it's the test day. Like, I mean, it's, it's big <laughs> test day. So like for big test days, I put on my shoes and they were, you know, really cool Nikes or whatever I decided to use as that year's shoe. And yeah, I treated it like this is game day. I'm going to, you know, fuel my body the night before with my favorite foods. I'm going to put on my shoes in the morning. I'm going to listen to my anthem going into this, you know, into this game in my head. And it, it kept it fun to me. So I did keep a lot of my routines, but it, it was really difficult because, you know, you do have a lot of isolation and studying. Um, it's important to find teammates in that regard. And I did find some incredible teammates throughout medical school and, you know, people that I really would consider like we were just, you know, still there to support each other as much as things are isolating. You can always seek that out and, and build your network. And it might not be a big network, but you can still find it. Right. And sorry, I'm just so curious. So what the transition that you just described sounds so incredibly difficult. Were you ever expecting that type of hit or before you, you know, joined the field of medicine and after experiencing that and you said you left part of yourself on the court, did you ever doubt if medicine was really the right fit for you after going through all of that? I think in terms of doubt, I can answer that pretty quickly. I don't think I've ever doubted that I'm in the right place because of my patients. I, I Once I got to see patients, I just fell in love with their stories, um, the humanity in it, the empathy, all of the things I knew I was getting into medicine before. I feel like we lose that along the way sometimes because we're very, very busy. And, you know, with that busyness, um, sometimes we're overwhelmed and we forget why we did things in the first place. So I think during those stressful and overwhelming times, when I started to see my patients, I just was, you know, reinvigorated with energy and, you know, learning again and remembering the story of why I wanted to do this in the first place. So I think I haven't really doubted that even through the residency process right now. I really enjoy going to work. It does involve a lot of, you know, stress management and time, you know, allocation, but I really love seeing my patients still. I think most of my colleagues would say, you know, I'm you know, pretty happy at work. Uh, I really enjoy it. But in terms of getting to be at this point right now, yeah, it's not always enjoyable. Like the process to getting to this point is right. a lot of isolation, a lot of time uh, trying to, you know, figure out who you are and if you're doing the right things. Um, but I think that's where it comes back to having the support structure you guys are creating and having the, the time to storytell and talk about your patients because, and these aren't things I'm, I might be telling you very, casually now but this these are learned like these weren't things that just you know happened overnight this is I'm speaking 10 years later now uh right. you know after going back to school so it's a little bit of experience on my hands at this point as compared to if you talked to me 10 years ago this wouldn't be the same conversation of course right absolutely and the bond that you explained with your patients I think that's so special and not really heard of these days so is it, did you ever have difficulty with maybe carrying home some of, you know, the stories? Because obviously you value that so much in your relationship with your patients. Like, how was that for you? Because I know people also find it difficult to separate work from their home life. And I don't know, did you ever deal, like, did you ever struggle with that? And if you did, did you find a way to combat that? That's a really good question. I think that's something we deal with a lot right now. Um, 
so yes, I definitely dealt with that. I definitely still deal with that. And I think especially more than ever in the climate of COVID right now, I've been having to re go back to some of those, you know, things I taught myself or I learned to try to, I don't mean to say detach, but not carry the burden home with me as much as I, I have in the past. Um, in general, I think with especially medicine and even more so emergency medicine, um, like we're used to dealing with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And that's not easy on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I do think I've brought a lot of things home with me that I've tried to learn. We're very good at compartmentalizing as physicians. We kind of have, you know, our sad, you know, something really sad happens. For example, you go into a room and a patient doesn't do well and you had just seen them two hours before with their family members, but you also have to go back into the next room and see the next patient. And how can you deal with that at work? I don't know that you can. I, I really don't know. I think we kind of compartmentalize and just keep going and keep going. And sometimes we reach a tipping point. So I think uh, knowing yourself and knowing if you're getting close to that tipping point and being able to find ways to scale back and, and kind of find the meaning in your work again. Um, but I think recognition is a big part of that, like knowing when you're just, you're taking too much home. But to answer, I think you, you, to answer it shortly, yes. And I still do. And it's still a work in progress. Right. And so obviously, you know, you're in emergency medicine, seeing patients. I can't imagine how fast and how many patients you see a day. Um, a lot. Definitely. What, you know, kind of brought you into emergency medicine, despite, you know, maybe some of the emotional hardships that it might bring? I love emergency medicine. I think it's just such a fantastic field. Um, I get to meet so many people every day and I'm kind of a busy body, whether it was through sports, uh, I can't sit still. So I love like seeing as many patients as possible uh, safely, of course, but I just love going in and meeting new people every day. When I wake up to go to work, I kind of think to myself, I wonder what I'll see today. Um, so I, I really do enjoy kind of the intellectual challenges of, of being the first person to get to see the patient and take a stab at diagnosis. I also have to admit that part of the reason emergency medicine fits me so well is based on that last question. Is I really, really care about my patients and I don't know that I'd be able to deal with the burden of seeing chronic illness every day. Mm-hmm. So for me, emergency medicine really allows me to do everything I can for my patients and really display as much compassion and empathy in, in people's darkest hours because nobody coming to the emergency room is in a good place. So I think I get to see people when they're most vulnerable, offer my empathy, try to treat them the best way that I can, but I try not to carry that home with me. And I'm afraid if I was in a different setting, I really may carry more home with me every day. Right. I mean, you always have to be ready. Like you have to be ready to face what's coming in through those doors. What's, what would you say is the hardest part about working in the ER? So I think probably, I think in the ER, it is sometimes we get used to, um, so we're seeing a lot of people, sometimes we're seeing them quickly and there's a lot of different illness, but sometimes I really do think the time to debrief in between patients is, is difficult. I think kind of what I was describing before is walking to a patient that's really, really sick and having mm-hmm. to put on that same face for the next person um, who may be coming in you might have seen them 10 times that week for the same headache um, because th- that's just the, the way of life in the ER. You might see somebody really, really ill. You might see somebody mm-hmm. who, 
needs a different, you know, set of, uh, you know, guidance, whether it's really maybe something mental health related, but I think it's being able to switch gears so quickly. And sometimes that's really, really challenging, especially, um, you know, sometimes being the last person with patients, especially in the climate of COVID has been extremely difficult to see maybe a patient like that, but then try to walk into the next room with a, with a face and, and remember that this person's um, complaints are just as valid. This person's illness or this person's hardship is just just as recognized um, as the next person and really try to bring that same amount of compassion and empathy to that person as well. So I think it does get tiring and difficult. Um, and then, you know, just the pace of emergency medicine, especially in New York, uh, sometimes is very, very difficult. So. Um, this might be a hard question, but do you have any like personal anecdotes that, you know, stick out in your mind about things that challenge your emotional well-being during work? Yeah, definitely. So I think as far as my my patients, I'll start with a, a rather a good story. I think um, <laughs> I think in terms of my patients, I, you learn so much from your patients. Um, so, you know, your patients really are the ones teaching you, and that's really where the richness of medicine lies for me, it's just the interaction with them. So I think a couple examples stand out. Um, I may have even mentioned one to Jamie in, in passing before, but I've recently had a patient whose, you know, mother um, was very, very ill, and I was going to be the last person with her mother. She was fortunately able to come down from a different state to be with her, and in that uh, time period, we, you know, had a relationship and we were hoping things didn't deteriorate as quickly as they ended up deteriorating, unfortunately. Um, but it was a, not something foreseen. This was a elective surgery that unfortunately went wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was there with the daughter and we developed a relationship and, um, you know, her, her father also had um, Alzheimer's dementia. So we were trying to decide whether it was best to bring him in or not. And mind you, this is the middle of the night in Queens. So she said, you know, my mother's very, very faithful. Um, she's Catholic and, you know, it would mean everything to have a priest or a pastor here right now. So I was on the phone for an hour trying to figure things out. Her clinical uh, condition deteriorated very quickly. Unfortunately, I was unable to get a pastor at two in the morning in Queens. Um, and so I told her, I said, I'm, I don't, I don't, you know, my, my faith is not the same as yours. I don't know what it means to be a Catholic and I, I don't know what I can offer other than to stand with you in prayer. I'd be happy to do that. And, um, you know, she was very, very tearful. And she said, you know, that'd be amazing. Let's do the Hail Mary. And, you know, I might've got 60% of the words, right. Um, I'm not sure how much, you know, how much I actually said that was correct. But that being said, it, it, again, it was like one of those moments where it was just about humanity and meeting somebody where their needs were and kind of, it didn't matter about your religion or, you know, the things that we, we get so torn up about and isolate ourselves, whether it's race or religion or sexuality, it was just about like meeting that patient where she was and saying like, I can stand with you in this moment. Um, so I think that was like one of the most powerful things that, that's happened recently. Um, I think another thing I can think of in terms of just patient care recently in the setting of COVID has been, unfortunately, there's a lot of language barrier in Queens, as you guys know, right. and there are a lot of patients from different places. Um, and they're coming in with loved ones. Uh, you know, they're coming into the hospital, sorry, without loved ones and they're unable to really speak even a language. Um, and on top of that, they're short of breath. Uh, dealing with, you know, the current climate in a setting in a melting pot of New York City with people short of breath, not speaking the correct, you know, not speaking a language I'm able to communicate in has been 
just one of those things that's just drawn my attention a lot to say, we really need to do better for these patients. We really need to take the time to call their family members. We really need to make sure we're writing their family members uh, numbers really large on the white sheet in the room, getting an iPad as quickly as possible, just doing the things that, again, remind me of why I wanted to go into medicine and just bringing the empathy and humanism back into it has actually been extremely, extremely rewarding. Um, I don't know if that answered your questions, but those are like anecdotal experiences <laughs> I've had that I think illustrate like illustrate the amazing community of medicine and like why you still want to go into this, you know, at a time where sometimes we, we still isolate and we talk about all the bad things. I think just the power of connection still. And I mean, that's what you guys are trying to bring across is just connection and community. So, yeah. And I really appreciated that you said you wanted to meet the patients where they are despite the language barrier. Um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of empathy, but I wonder is it hard to draw that line? Like how close can you get to the patient with while being professional, but not showing too much emotion and getting too attached? Yeah, I think that differs for every person. I think that's a really individualized thing. I think, you know, maybe we don't show enough of that in medicine because we're still create or, you know, under this idea that we need to still have this you know, I don't know if it's hard shell or exterior around us, but I mean, we're human too. And, and watching somebody die and, and you might not care the same way somebody else cares, but seeing somebody grieving is difficult. Um, I don't think we're supposed to be immune to that. So I think for me, I think everybody shows it in different ways and it doesn't mean necessarily breaking down in tears. It means just offering what I can to that person. Mm -hmm. um, whether sometimes it's a hug or whether it's standing in prayer or whether it's uh, calling a family member to make sure they're well informed about their, their family members needs. I think, again, some of that is, you know, it just comes from experience and really being able to engage with that person and be able to, like I said, to just meet them. And I think that does take a little experience and it takes interpersonal skill to be able to, to see that. But yeah, how close is too close? That's a good question. I don't know. And so, you know, kind of in light of COVID, I was just wondering, you know, what do you do personally to kind of de-stress and take your mind off of your work day? Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, I have a very large family, so they're really helpful through this process. You know, honestly, I have a 15-year-old brother, um, wow. so oh, wow. he's, he's like just such a good light of... Um, He's well beyond his years because he has multiple older siblings. But that being said, there's still that innocence, uh, you know, in childhood that I am able to get out of him. So I really do think that's such an important part of my day to day is, you know, being in touch with my support structure, which is my family. I still find that physical, you know, health is something that I take very, very seriously because it's just part of being who I was as an athlete and who I still am. And I think that really does help energize me. I know it's silly, but like the little, the little workouts that you schedule, just like a shift and kind of, that's the way I, I sometimes do things is just, I never miss a shift for medicine. So I don't know why I'm not investing in, you know, my physical well-being and my emotional well-being, just like I would a shift. Like this hour right. is for mental health or this hour is for, you know, journaling of which I find very, very helpful as well. So I think those things to schedule, actually, sometimes it's hard. You, you don't want to schedule that because, oh, why do I have to schedule that? It's like drinking like a, 
green kale drink that somebody's making me drink you know it's just like drinking a green smoothie or something you just don't want to do it and it seems silly but I found that it really helps me to put it in my schedule because I don't miss it and it's not every day like it used to be but it really does help to kind of schedule things out and stay organized for me so I think working out and just being around my family is is one but also doing things like this like talking about medicine um, talking about the experiences talking about my patients it really takes a load off to just talk about it and actually like storytell in a way it almost takes the burden away from you and you just share it and it's it's kind of helpful yeah absolutely and speaking of mental health um recently in the news there's been a lot of a big surge and a lot of mentions of burnout and distress amongst healthcare workers mm-hmm. and whatnot so I know you're such a big advocate for mental health so do you want to just maybe share with us your views on it and have you witnessed the, like, is the news correct? Have you witnessed burnout and distress amongst your colleagues or, or other healthcare workers in the hospital? And how does that all unfold? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've stayed away from the news a little bit, but I have seen in recent times, I have seen some articles come out. Unfortunately, they are people that I'm working with currently. There's some of their friends are, are the ones that were um, affected. Um, but as, as you guys know, um, you know, the stigma surrounding physician suicide is still real and the stigma surrounding depression and anxiety is still real. Um, you know, we know that uh, physicians basically, you know, really, I think I don't know if it's 300 to 400, I don't have numbers, but we know that there are a large amount of um, you know, high rates of depression in doctors and uh, doctors really are amongst the populations with the highest suicide rates you know, in the country. Uh, there's numbers that are really scary, 30 to 40% of you know, those in medical school are depressed and oftentimes not even wow. reaching out to the right resources. Um, you know, we know how to recognize it, yet we don't sometimes know what to do about it. Um, so yeah, I think in general, I have seen that going on, but honestly, I haven't heard enough conversation about it, enough good conversation. And maybe people are doing this on their own in their own settings with their own support structure. And I hope that that's the case, but I don't really think that I've heard a lot of discussion about what's going on and why is it going on? Because we know it's going on. This is not new. But I, I don't know at what point it's not going to be something we're just really talking about and that the implementation of, of different programs and different, um, you know, modalities are, are really taught and brought to light more. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think I might know the answer to this question, but I was just wondering, you, why do you think that is? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I really think there's a combination of, you know, stigma fears regarding privacy and regarding confidentiality and basically how knowledge of our problems might affect our careers you know a lot of times you know research shows that the physicians that actually successfully did take their lives were less likely to have actually received any mental health treatment um, when compared to non-physicians so you know it's just you know disclosed in our medical training it's not treated as hipaa information um, so yeah, I think people are really, really scared, uh, to talk about this and really, really scared that it might affect their career, that they've worked years and years, um, or that maybe their background with, you know, some sort of disability or a background with prior drug use or a background with depression or anxiety is going to prevent them from getting where they need to get. And it's that drive to still get there that just shuts everything else 
Right. And you mentioned before how you said everyone knows what's going on. But do you, is it ever a topic of discussion amongst maybe you and other residents or other attendings? Like, is it just discussed in a way? Because you also talked about the issues with silence and whatnot. Do you bring it up with your colleagues during work? I am guilty. Like, I think that it's not brought up enough. I think I, like I said, enjoy the opportunity to be on here and just discuss how real this is because there are discussions in residency there will be you know a mental health day where you'll sit on the phone and you know somebody will say why don't we all discuss our problems together but it never really happens in my experience it never and maybe it's the product of being in a very large residency program or that the forum isn't right or that right now it's virtual but it's basically a forum where you kind of are told let's discuss things but very rarely is anything actually discussed and i still think despite everything we know there is an underlying fear i don't know if it's fear of judgment fear that we can't deal with this fear that if we bring it up we will somehow you know taking a mental health day is a bad thing i i mean i personally if i ever am in the position of being administrative or being you know and attending with residents i think that there has to be wellness days just like if you're on sick call and somebody comes in sick it should be the same thing nobody needs to know that it's a mental health day because we already know these things are so connected now obviously if there's more and more of it you know discussion needs to be had but you know taking a mental health day should just be part of you know what we're doing like coming into work if i saw a younger resident who didn't look well i would just send them home like go take a day outside, go take a bike ride, go do something else that energizes you. Because sometimes that day is all somebody needs to feel a lot more human again. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Do you think hospitals are taking actions and responding to this? Hmm. So I think they're trying. I just don't know what the, you know, I don't know where the disconnect is. I think people are trying. I think the idea of maybe like chief wellness officers. I think the idea of having different applications or giving physicians access to, you know, the mindfulness apps um, or like having tools, basically free counseling is offered. I think, I think those things are there, but I, I don't know about the discussion part. Like when is it going to be just a regular discussion that, you know, somebody with type one diabetes is also, you know, when you're learning about it in med school also might be the person who's learning about it, the doctor, or when we're learning about anxiety and depression and different serotonin and dopamine and neurotransmitters that, you know, the first time we encounter a patient with it, well, what about the doctors who are sitting next to you dealing with it? So I, I don't know when it'll become a much more integrated part of curriculum, that it's just part of things that we understand and part of the things that we talk about. And I, I don't know. I don't know that on a hospital level. I'm sure there is much more than I know being in, you know, just in residency that goes on above me. Um, but I don't know that I've seen a lot of it take place throughout the last three years in terms of like me personally being affected by it? Or again, am I just speaking as somebody who is nervous about being stigmatized? I don't know. Right. And I remember, you know, in another conversation that I had with you, we were, you were talking to me about your views on mental health and patients that deal with it. And you mentioned something really interesting. You said how those who suffer from mental illness, um, let's say specifically to this time that they're not even aware of the pandemic that's going on in the world. Can you just maybe elaborate more on your thought process with that? Oh, I just think, yeah, that's really interesting. So I've seen, I think that idea is that depression and anxiety is just so powerful that it doesn't even know a pandemic exists. So right. I've had multiple patients who are in the hospital and as I'm taking care of very ill COVID patients where, 
somebody who maybe is in a different mindset would not come close to the hospital or rather avoid the hospital at really all costs. You have the patient who's struggling with depression, um, who's sitting in the middle of the hallways because he doesn't need to be in a room with maybe nasal cannula or access to the right, um, you know, ventilatory techniques. So he's sitting in the hallway in the midst of a pandemic, but he's there because he wants to hurt himself. And the idea that the pandemic exists, the idea that he may get ill with COVID doesn't even cross his mind. Mm -hmm. And that just, to me, is so powerful to say, like, don't you know there's a pandemic out there? But when somebody's cloud is in front of their face and it's so dark, you, you don't care about what else is going on. It doesn't matter that there's a pandemic. It doesn't matter that he could die from something else because right now he's just trying to get up the next day. And I think there's a lot of that that goes on. And I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, it just really, it really stood out to me. I just said, wow, you know, it just doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world when somebody's really dealing with that cloud. Mm-hmm. Right. And how do you deal with patients who, you know, suffer with mental illness? Is there something, you know, it, it must be difficult to witness and difficult to even approach them because you know they're already in such a different mindset. So how do you personally, um, do you have like any tips or tricks in how you approach the patient um, in a professional way and you're at the same time accommodating and whatnot? I feel like it's so difficult because it's so much, so many emotions and so much blockage, like you said, because mental illness can be so heavy and so powerful where they're just blinded. So how do you find, like, how do you get through to the patient? I think that's a really good question because I think that's probably, you mentioned before one of the things that I struggle with, and I think that actually is one of the things I struggle with the most because in the emergency room setting, I can't really treat their mental health issues. It's not, the system is not built, at least the one where I'm at right now, is not built for, you know, dealing with chronic mental health. I deal with acute issues in the acute setting and that's my specialty. So when somebody comes in with something as serious as suicidality, there's not a lot that I have in my toolbox to help them with. I think the only way I get through that is saying, I've been there. I know what you're dealing with. It's okay. Let me at least just meet you again with that empathy and humanism and, and, you know, really try to do the best that I can to just let them know they're not alone. But at the end of the day, in terms of whether somebody goes or stays in the hospital, we basically triage whether somebody is really at risk enough to induce self-harm or hurt someone else. And if that answer is yes, they come in and then they're hospitalized and the psychiatric team um, obviously takes over and does a lot. But if the answer is no, I often feel like I'm, I'm pushing somebody back out into the world who doesn't have the tools they need to, to really deal with what they're going through. And, you know, maybe on a lighter note, I was going to ask if um, through this pandemic, have you learned anything? I love the lighter note. Yes, I'm totally (laughs) into the lighter note. Listen, this isn't all dreary. (laughs) I mean, I think, again, this isn't all dreary. It's it's good what we're doing. We're having discussion about mental health. We're having discussion about being resilient. We're having discussion about really real issues that people need to talk about and hopefully you know, will help somebody else to stand up and talk about it. But um, yeah, I think COVID taught me so many things. One, it's definitely just um, right now, it's just really invigorated a lot of passion in me to, to do my best for these patients and their family members. And like I said, that extra time that I spend calling a family member or getting a translator iPad and making sure that the family's really, you know, understands what's going on. Currently, I'm in the ICU setting. 
So it's very, very busy and it's hard to speak to every single family member, but I really try to do my best and just sit down and, you know, a couple of them ask, Hey, is Dr. Williams there yet in the morning? And I'm like, just tell them no for a second. I need to like get through rounds and then I'll talk to everybody. But I can tell how much they appreciate like knowing um, that I'm going to come in. They know I'm going to talk to them. They can expect they're going to get an update and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to give them the information they need to stay uh, up to date because the problem is these people are at home, not sleeping, worrying about loved ones. So if there's something I can do, even sometimes, you know, we're like, Oh geez, I have to be on the phone 14 times for every different patient. It's, it's really tiring. Um, but I just try to put myself in their shoes and say, you know, give them everything I can so that they can at least go through their day to day uh, with the information. So I think, again, taking that extra second for people and their family members has, has definitely been a big part of what I'm doing. Um, in terms of learning medically, I've learned a lot. I've also learned a lot about how much we don't know, um, which in a way excites me for my career still, uh, because that's what you sign up for in healthcare is just constant learning. And uh, the, the rate of rapid learning that's been going on has been, uh, you know, a lot. I've learned more in the last couple of months than I have in like longer than I want to admit uh, in residency. So uh, yeah, so I've definitely learned a lot about that. And then I also think uh, one of the biggest takeaways is just how little we need to be happy uh, being in New York City in the height of a pandemic where all of the things I, you know, rely on my gym memberships and going to the grocery store and doing all these, you know, activities and, you know, I think we just learn how little we need at a time where there's not much out there and how much, uh, you know, just again, connection, having conversations, reconnecting with other people. You know, I, I can't say I don't have time to call mom and dad. Like I have plenty of time to call, uh, you know, because I, I think sometimes we forget those things uh, in day-to-day -day busyness or I'm running around um, from one place to the next. And it's actually, I don't know about you guys, but it slowed me down a lot. And, and some of it isn't all bad for me to slow down. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we really appreciate that you're stepping out and saying what needs to be said. Uh, we do see how it is a rising problem in terms of mental health and whatnot. So do you have any, um, I guess, like vision for how you see the stigma about mental health being mitigated, especially in terms of how it's viewed within healthcare workers? Is there something that you dream about one day that like, oh, what in a few years, I wish the culture would be like this? Or that or you wish that the response would be different do you ever think about that for the future absolutely I think that my passion really is is involved in and in being involved in mental health and these conversations I think a lot of mental health um, and the stigma and just you know the desire to really connect our emotional and physical well-being is, is one of the reasons I really got into medicine in the first place and although I'm doing something completely different in the setting of emergency medicine I think I think I'm truly passionate about you know opening up this conversation much like you guys are so I think in terms of um, you know what I hope to see I, I hope to see I know as all of us as physicians and healthcare practitioners love data and numbers and science, I think what moves us is connection and relationships and interaction. Um, I don't know what form that will be in. Obviously, I'm just wrapping up residency in the midst of COVID. So I don't know that I have a specific vision other than continuing to do things like this and speaking out and, you know, even telling more personal stories about, uh, you know, myself and, and, you know, really being open about things because I think you know, whether you, you guys mentioned in a prior podcast, you said, um, maybe you're not comfortable speaking, but maybe somebody else is. And just by listening to them, 
you're getting something out of it. So I think, you know, maybe you're not the one starting a story, but maybe you're the one just listening to the story. It's just about connection. How can we do connection? And right now, just again, what Cress is doing is providing an environment um, where we're really able to connect people to a community. And, and we know community and connection really allows for a lot of resilience. Um, so I hope to be involved in things like this. I hope also to be, um, I'm doing a lot of mentorship right now for younger students who want to get in medicine. Um, or younger athletes who want to figure out their career path. So I think just normalizing my story to them, telling them how much I didn't know, how much I still don't know, how much I'm learning and how much I've struggled is one, a huge relief to me, but also it's a really, it's a relief to, to them to just hear, uh, you know, some honesty and, and just, you know, sharing stories. I think there's a lot of power in um, storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that you mentor um, other people. How, how did you get into that and how has that been for you? So I've always wanted to help younger people. I think that's just, you know, not even younger people, just anybody who I think that I just somehow maybe got lucky. Maybe it's hard work. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel really um, grateful to be in the position I'm in now and have a job that I get to help other people. And I know a lot of people want to get there too and want to be able to help other people. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of mentorship, I kind of feel like that's a big part of my calling is to just help somebody else say, yeah, like I am excited enough about your story or your story inspires me enough that that's something I want to do. And I want to be able to help them get there. So I, I really got involved based on basketball though. I used to do a lot of camps and clinics when you're an athlete, you do these little dribblers and you have, you know, fifth graders and sixth graders coming to ask for your autograph and, you know, you're, you know, doing these little uh, tricks and teaching them. And so I've always loved to do that with younger athletes. And now I'm trying to say, Hey, what about, you know, the people in college, the people who now I'm kind of, you know, I guess call it imposter syndrome. I'm, you know, I know you guys touched on that before. I'm, I, I still at some point, you know, I don't know that that ever entirely goes away. But now that I'm kind of what somebody else might be looking at to say, hey, I'd love to get there. It's like, it's my obligation to give back and help. And I, I really, I really feel that way. I think every person, I know you mentioned imposter syndrome. I just want everybody to feel like they're part of the team and that this is attainable and that they can help people um, and find meaning, you know, in their own lives. And, and doing that selfishly helps me find meaning in my own life. So, yeah, exactly. And we love your love for basketball. Um, you might not have an answer to this, but I was just genuinely curious. Uh -oh. I know that a lot of times um, healthcare workers, they, try to find ways to connect with their patients. Um, have you ever come across a patient or several, I don't know, where basketball was your connection? Oh, yeah. I definitely, again, living in like the melting pot of New York and being in Brooklyn and having patients, you know, just from all over the place. I, yeah, I tend to have a kind of uniqueness about my tennis shoes still. I think it's an athlete thing, but I definitely wear uh, kind of basketball shoes uh, that stand out a little bit. Oh, so yeah. I get a lot of, hey, cool shoes. Uh, and generally, they actually have my number on them. So my mom was cheesy enough to want my number engraved on my white coat. I said, absolutely not. But those Nikes are really cool. <laughs> so she um, so she definitely I have some shoes that have my number 34 on them. So I I kind of use them as a conversation starter or a lot of the times when I see young kids in the ED, they're really sad. They come in with a twisted ankle or, you know, and I see that their ankle actually has these really cool Kobe Bryant or these really cool Jordan shoes. And I'm like, oh, hey, are those the sevens? And they're like, wow, oh. Doc, how do you know about these sevens? So yeah, I think I try to use it a little bit to my advantage and just say, hey, we're on the same team here. Like, I know I'm wearing this 
well, I don't actually wear a white coat, but I know, you know, I'm wearing these like intimidating scrubs and a stethoscope, but you know, it, we're all the same here. Like, let's, you know, try to develop a relationship. And I find that sport is like community. It just brings people together. And oftentimes when I get to share that I played basketball and the kids, they think it's super cool. Um, and, you know, the, you know, adults really respect, you know, just kind of the story, you know, that I got to play uh, professional basketball overseas. It's always a good conversation starter. So I love that so much because someone that has um, <clears throat> what's called white coat syndrome, um, I would love it if I could, you know, relate to my position on that kind of level. So I think that's like really awesome. Yeah, I never wore a white coat. It's funny. I um, tried to take an end of residency photo the other day uh, with a white coat because uh, I got one of those really cool figs white coats. So I said, I'm going to go take a really, you know, awesome um, you know, picture with it. And then I thought, well, I've actually never worn a white coat in residency, not once, um, other than for a picture. I think it's something like emergency medicine doctors do when they're cold is throw it on. But otherwise, I think we, we're kind of a cool bunch. And I definitely try to keep, you know, keep it a little bit lively and, and, and make it less intimidating for patients because that, the white coat syndrome and white coat hypertension is absolutely real. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I love that your passion for something is now like a tool for you to use at a professional level in um, the, the career that you love to do? Like, did you ever imagine that for yourself? And did you ever have maybe a specific patient or a moment where you realized like, wow, my love for basketball can translate into my field now and it can be something that I use to get closer to my patients? Like, was that like an aha moment or did you just realize that gradually over the years? I think... I, so I definitely, if you could like put a lot of things that I wanted to be when I was younger in a hat and I would pick one out when I was 10 and then 15 and even 20, I don't think I could have picked out doctor because it just wasn't in my thought process. Like there was no thought of being a physician, no thought of doing really anything in the medical field. It, it was too hard. It was too much work. It was, I'm not good at it because um, I'm going to do the business thing because those are the things I'm good at. So there was definitely a lot of the, uh, you know, do what you're good at. And so I stayed with basketball. I was pretty good with the writing and the liberal arts. So I stayed with that. And let's be honest, guys, science is hard. Um, right. So, you know, and it involves a lot of time. So yeah, I definitely never imagined my life in this, in this way. Um, but I think that's an advantage day to day with my patients. And, um, you know, I think I bring just a different perspective, whether it's through, you know, just life experiences that are not really taught, but just really acquired. Um, you know, I think I have a lot of that from the experience of whether it was living overseas and playing a sport to being on teams my entire life with a diverse background. Um, I don't find it hard to relate to people. I love relating to people. Um, so I think, I think I have a lot of different pieces of me that I'm able to relate to a patient on. And um, if I'm not, I, I try to still find that empathy. But, a lot, you know, a lot of the times I, I really do have something that we can talk about. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I really enjoy that. And I don't know if there's a specific moment that I can think of in terms of where I thought basketball really translated. I think it just sport translates in so many ways. Um, it just doesn't discriminate. You know, sports don't discriminate whether you're like I said, ethnic, uh, you know, any kind of ethnic background or uh, financial background or, uh, right. you know, what, what identity you relate to, whether it's, you know, LGBTQ or, you know, whatever it is, it just, it, there's a common goal in that. And I think I, from my experiences, have had a, a plenty of experiences with different groups of, you know, every different type of person through playing basketball. And so when I see them in the ED, it's just like one of my teammates, it's no big deal. 
Um, so yeah. Something that I'm wondering is, you know, you probably were on a lot of teams growing up. Would those teammates <laughs> picture you as an emergency room physician today? Oh, that's such a good question. I think we'd have to ask them. I, so I graduated medical school and a lot of my teammates and my college coach from Hofstra were at my med school graduation. Um, oh, wow. They were all there. My best friend was one of my college teammates. Uh, my two closest friends, I would say, are both uh, my college teammates and they were both at my graduation. One flew in from Africa um, for my medical school graduation and my coach, like I said, she was there and I uh, you know, still went to actually Hofstra games all throughout medical school. So if you talk about that sanity, part of that was like, hey, they're playing in Philadelphia today. They're playing at Drexel. Like, I'm going to head over to the game. And that just was back to the being on, you know, back to being on a team and back to being with the, the people that kind of knew me before I took off on this journey. Um, I think we'd have to ask them, but I don't think they're surprised. I think, um, I think that they respect uh, the work ethic I brought to basketball and the work ethic I brought to pretty much all the things that I've done in my life thus far. And I don't think my friends are surprised at where I've ended up. Um, but I don't know if they could have predicted this, this was the route or that they even know how I got here. But I just think they're like, oh yeah, it's Nikki. I'm not really that, I'm not shocked entirely, but I don't know. We'd have to, we'd have to ask them. I'll, I'll be honest, they're extremely you know, I, I'm so lucky to have teammates that honestly do not care about medicine or basketball at all because, you know, it's kind of just back to being in the locker room whenever I talk to them. And, you know, we do discuss COVID and I try to give them tips here and there. But, you know, actually, for example, my, my teammate who's a professional basketball player uh, just sent me a mask that her mom made me, um, mm -hmm. which was like really thoughtful. And uh, another teammate just sent me a couple like of the N95s, like boxes. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really nice. And we all did actually a, a recently, we did a couple sessions for athletes while they're kind of stuck at home, not training right now. And we just talked about the stages of life that we're in. Uh, some of them are still playing professional basketball. Some of them are nurses and doctors and, um, FBI. And we kind of just did breakout sessions with, uh, with different players into the, the goals that they'd be interested in getting to and tried to start some of that mentorship early and say, Hey, if you like think you could go into government, go into this breakout session. If you think you might want to go into healthcare, come into my you know, session. So I think I'm really, really still involved a lot in, in the basketball scene. And, um, you know, I really do feel like I'm at home every time I'm on the court or talking to my teammates. So right. I think that's so special that you, those relationships, they started when you guys were young and in college and that they're still alive and strong today. I think that's just so great because, you know, not a lot of people have that. So I don't know. I, that's so inspiring. Yeah, I think I just got done this this past, I socially distanced, but even the one teammate I, I had just told you about is currently, um, you know, currently pregnant, which is amazing. So I was oh, wow. there, uh, you know, with my social distancing camera and like doing all the photographs, you know, because we've, we've really went through it all. We all played overseas at different locations. I was in Israel at the time and she was in Italy and we still had the Skype chats and the communication. And then she decided to go to nursing school and we've kind of have helped mentor her. And she's always been there for me throughout the process. And um, I honestly, I, I have to, you know, they, the people I met at Hofstra on my team are absolutely my best friends today. Um, you know, and so I think it is actually really, really special to, to be involved and see them grow. And we're all doing different things. And the cool thing about sports are they're all over the world, uh, you know, all over right. the place in different cities and different, um, you know, even different countries right now. And it's really kind of exciting to get to hear what they're doing in their lives and, and just the different climate and different locations. So it is definitely, I think sports are very unique in that way.
Yeah, I think it's really funny how you said um, that during medical school, you would still, you know, follow the pride around <laughs> because, you know, something that me and Jamie do monthly is plan a whole day around a basketball game and then complain about the upcoming test and then don't go. So <laughs> I can't exactly. imagine what you're going so through funny. medical school. So, and we're just an undergrad. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. And don't say just an undergrad. I think I learned that later in life to stop saying just, I would say, Oh, I'm just a med student. I'm just the resident. They would be, Oh, who's the doctor over here? I'd say not me. I'm just the resident or I'm just the med student. It's like, you guys are college students and you're doing amazing things. So that's, that's the, the first thing, but um, yeah, it is, it kept me, I couldn't not go because it was, you know, a mile away and I just wouldn't forgive myself. But believe me, I did the same thing as you. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't even like, I can't even stop eating because I need to study. Like I can't take a break. I have to eat. I, it's like, I have to eat, study, lift weights and, you know, call my mom at the same time. And it's like, that's just not, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. It's not realistic, but yeah, I think basketball really has helped. It's probably helped more than I'm even emphasizing just having those people in my life. And, um, my coach, coach, uh, Stavesky, she was there when I was there and, um, she actually uh, just moved to Georgia, but she sent me a book when the pandemic happened about like a, an athletic struggle that, you know, somebody was left in a poor climate for a really long time and how they got out of it and kind of a mental adversity type of a book. And so she sent me that, which was really kind. And then the current Hofstra coach is um, Coach uh, Santos. And I was actually just with them, uh, you know, recently just talking to the girls at Hofstra um, being involved as an alumni and, um, you know, just coming to the game. So it, she actually was my point guard coach when I was there and now she's the head coach. So, oh, yeah. you know, there's a, definitely a lot of connections and community there. Um, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that I was outside Hofstra like last week, but I had a day off and I went to that hidden basketball court behind the rec center. Um, yeah. oh, I know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. the one that's, so yeah, I went out there. I was like, no, I know all the courts are closed, but I just need to step on a court right now. And I know nobody will be there or see me. And I just ran there by myself. And I was like, I'm just going to shoot a couple times and then I'll leave. Um, so yeah, I was, I was there the other day, actually. So I think it brings a lot more sanity than I'm giving, uh, giving credit to. Wow, honestly, this is just a side note, but this is making me regret not joining a sports team or something when I was young, because when you get older, I feel like that's when you realize how much more it, you know, added to your life. When I was young, my parents would always try to force me to do some type of sport and I hated it. It made me feel, I don't know, just for me, it was like a personality thing. I don't know why I was always so nervous around people. I had a really hard time socializing, but hearing how powerful just your passion for sports and basketball is and how that's translating all over your life and even the relationships that it's helped you sustain and it gets, it allows you to witness people's growth in many different ways and you're part of them at different stages of life that you probably didn't really imagine that you would when you first met them. That definitely is something so incredible and blows my mind and definitely makes me regret some of my life choices. Oh no, I think you get that from other things though. I'm sure that you do. I mean, what I get through basketball, somebody else gets through church or through gaming or through skateboarding or through science or, so I think it comes in different. I think my basketball is something else to you would be my guess. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, just to go back on something that you said before, you told us not to say just. How did you get out of that? Because personally, I know the three of us, we are always justing ourselves, if you will. Um, always. <laughs> it's, and it's really hard. I feel like even when we compliment each other, we're like, oh, stop. It's like, oh, like that's too nice. Or <laughs> how did you learn to get out of that? And how did you even learn that that's something that you should get out of? Because I completely agree with 
your idea behind that statement, you know, not to say just, and I don't know, I was just wondering your journey, even with just that um, thought of yours in that term. I just think we are so used to, I don't know, undermining our own talents and our own capabilities. It's again, I think it might be cultural, but I think we we need a shift. We we need to own where we're at and we need to remember that it's really important. And again, 10 years ago, I was just in college and just a basketball player and just a med student. And then now I'm just a resident, but I, I stopped using it as often and it helped. So I think I used to say it a lot. And then when they started asking for the doctor, I stopped turning around and looking for the attending and said, I'm the doctor. So I think at some point you decide that you're not gonna just be like that anymore you're gonna take some ownership and remember how important you are but i think again empowering each other is good i think me maybe saying it to you maybe you'll say it to somebody else and tell them hey you're not just in high school you're you're in high school and you're rocking it you're in high school and you're you're doing all the things you need to be doing right now or for you guys i'm telling you hey you're in college and you guys are crushing it doing a podcast and juggling covid and juggling Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, all your responsibilities while working and still being a member of a church and a family. And uh, that's not just anything. That's amazing. So I think, again, maybe just empowering each other a little bit more. We'll stop doing it. Right, exactly. And on that note, I know we're all here thinking it. Don't even lie. But I know everyone wants to ask you about Grey's Anatomy. And (laughs) a lot of people who I know don't know anything about medicine. And they just assume they know everything about medicine. Um, you know, the culture that you see in the beginning is that it's so cutthroat and everyone is at you and they're trying to one up you and they, it's almost, you know, the culture that they present through the show is, it's really hard and it's tough. What would you say, first of all, have you ever watched that show or do you know people who have and like, does your life relate to that or is it the complete opposite? Oh gosh, that's such a funny question. I have never watched Grey's Anatomy, ever. Um, Like I said, I never thought I was going to be a doctor. So that led to a lot more ESPN and basketball games on TV than uh, Grey's Anatomy. Although I will say my best friend thinks she is a physician based on her Grey's Anatomy knowledge. Uh, So yeah, I definitely understand that 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 exists where people are, you know, are obtaining information from shows or or believe things to be a certain way. Uh, You know, it's a show. It's just like our Facebook and our Instagram. It's a snapshot of of life and, and you can't, you know, ever judge something on a snapshot or on a representation that's being publicly shown. Certainly medical school in this training is rigorous. That's, there's no question. I wouldn't sugarcoat that to anybody going into the field. The hours are are difficult um, and, you know, the situations are stressful. And, you know, as a physician, you're kind of in the business of learning how to embrace those situations and learn how to be resilient. Um, I think medical training is a lesson on resiliency, really. Um, So in terms of, is it accurate? I don't know, because I haven't haven't truly watched the show even once. Um, In terms of, is it cutthroat and competitive? I think that's more of a personal journey. I right. I think we're always going to compare ourselves to the next person and say, oh, if I did better on the test, I, you know, maybe this person's doing better at this test, or maybe they're better at this skill set, or surgically they're they're a little bit, their techniques are better than mine. I, I don't know. I try not to get too involved with that because I'm I'm very proud of where I'm at and where the journey has taken me. And 
I have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm definitely always going to continue to try to learn. Um, but I also want to take time to be proud of myself. So I think, again, making sure that you're um, putting yourself in an, an environment not to, to be part of that culture. I think there are enough people who want to be a team, who want to have camaraderie, who want to help each other. And I think, again, back to conversation, the more we talk about that, the more we make it open. Maybe, maybe the culture will change and maybe even the way that people view the culture will change. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, like, I feel that with the development of Crest that we could, we are making a step in the right direction. And, you know, in another video, we were talking about how a duck at, at the surface looks so calm, just floating around, but, you know, underneath his feet are going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> So I think <laughs> becoming more aware of everyone is in the same boat. Everyone, you know, are struggling with the long hours, struggling with the stress and emotional component of medicine, um, you know, that you see on Grey's Anatomy is not the real thing. Um, but just getting the word out there, trying to create an environment where we're just aware of our colleagues' feelings, whether they be a nurse, PA, physician, you know, whatever that ultimately they're going through the same thing that you're going through and you don't have to put on that face, you know? Oh, that's, that's so important. I, I, I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. I mean, listen, emergency medicine, if I can imagine what it looks like on TV is a lot of successful intubation, central lines. Yeah. Maybe we resuscitate people and they come back to life right away. Cool. Um, emergency medicine is sometimes accompanied by like mind and body numbing hours of just clinical work and calls and fatigue there's a ton of happiness and there are a ton of saves but there's a lot of unhappiness too but I think if we just know that and really you know embrace that maybe talking about it embracing it would just make it a lot better I also really liked what you said about teamwork and how um, when you view your life you see everything as a team and how everyone is working together. And I, I think that's like the secret to success because at the end of the day, everybody's learning and everyone's benefiting. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated what you said about that, about how we all need a team. And even in the hospital setting, we're all in a team together without yeah. competition. Yeah, I think, I think that's a big key to happiness, really. And I think, you know, realizing that and knowing that you know, we're all on the same team. We're all here to heal others. And in order to heal others, we as healers need to be healthy enough ourselves. And that involves conversation and that involves teamwork and camaraderie. I think, I don't know. I mean, in the emergency room, you're faced every day with like very devastating, you know, tragedies. And I think, you know, being that up close and personal with these situations also really it kind of puts your life into perspective too. So I, I haven't really been in a situation where I've seen somebody chronically ill or very ill or acutely ill that's not going to do well, um, discuss any aspect of their life that has to do with, I don't know, more money or more fame or more competition or it always has to do with time with people and connection. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, I've been around a lot of people and it always comes back to the connections that they've had in their lives and that's what they would focus on more. You know, I actually talk to my elderly patients a lot and I try to learn from them. I always say, hey, you know, tell me something that you learned in your 87 years of kicking butt here. And, you know, tell me what you taught your kids. And I always love having those conversations. And um, I have a lot of them because I think 
they're wise and I think they can teach you a lot if, if you can listen and you do have to scream sometimes because they can't <laughs> hear you. But um, in the midst of screaming in rooms, I've, I've just learned a lot and it always comes back to connection and, uh, you know, having compassion for other people. So I think, again, I think just making that a part of your life could probably lead to a lot more happiness and a lot less of our kind of our, our solo suffering, so to speak. Right. I love that. I think we can all say that we're on the same page when we realize and acknowledge the power of community. And even if it's just ranting to other people, if you're just there to listen for someone or just to confide in someone, the change it can make in your life with whatever you're dealing with. And yeah, Dr. Nikki, I thank you so much for your time. We definitely learned so much about you as well as basketball. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me and keep keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's definitely not just anything. It's going to change the world hopefully someday. So Oh, so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, guys, we hope you enjoyed listening to this wonderful conversation with Dr. Nicole Williams. We want you guys to give us feedback if you want. And we had such a wonderful time talking to her. We hope you guys had um, an equally wonderful time listening. And yeah, everyone stay safe and we'll catch you next time on Crest Talk.